For the past 40 years, there's something that presidents from both parties have broadly agreed on. It's that big government is bad. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. The era of big government is over. America doesn't need more big government. What big government means can depend on who you ask. But more or less, it's the idea that the government takes a heavy hand in the economy, levying huge taxes, spending a lot of money, and stepping in with regulations. For most of President Biden's career in Washington, big government has been out of style. But now, Biden wants to bring it back. His administration is proposing more regulation, higher taxes, and massive spending packages, including the latest, his $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan. $2.3 trillion is a lot and is ambitious, and it comes after Biden, in the very first weeks of his presidency, already passed a $1.9 trillion bill. So the scale of the Biden program is significant compared to what we've seen in, in a very long time. Jake Schlesinger covers economics and politics, and he says the Biden administration hasn't been shy about saying that government can be the solution. Biden's agenda is an attempt to expand government again in a way that would mark a shift from where we've really been in the last 40 years. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, April 7th. Coming up on the show, why big government has been taboo in Washington for so many years, and why President Biden wants that to change. It can be hard to see the challenges the people we work with are facing. Addressing these invisible struggles can make us and our companies healthier. Join Holly Robinson-Pete on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Before big government was out, it was in. For many years, both parties believed that Washington should spend big and steer the economy. There was the New Deal from FDR and the Great Society effort from LBJ. And Republican presidents also took a big government approach, like Dwight Eisenhower, who poured money into interstate highways. Even under the Nixon administration, you had the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency as a way of government having a much stronger role in regulating the environment. One of the little-known aspects of President Nixon's administration is that he actually proposed a universal income package that passed the House and came very close to becoming law but never passed the Senate. And so there really was a kind of a consensus from Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal onward through the 70s that government had a significant role. That all broke down in the 1970s. It broke down because the economy tanked and the government seemed unable to get it back on track. You had high unemployment. The unemployment rate soared to 8.2% nationwide last month, and it rose... You had gas lines, you had shortages. Anger and bewilderment are growing as more and more Americans cope with gasoline lines and empty pumps. Why doesn't anybody contact the president? Why is he letting this happen to us? 
You had an incredibly deep recession. You had significant inflation. The combination was called stagflation. And in general, it fed into a feeling that the United States' best days were behind it. I mean, Jimmy Carter, when he was president, famously gave a speech talking about the malaise of the United States. It is a crisis of confidence. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. This crisis of confidence could be traced to a lot of things. But some economists pointed to big government programs as major causes of the economic pain. They said that Washington had propped up the economy too much. For example, when unemployment got really low in the 60s and early 70s, wages started rising, and higher wages helped drive up the price of consumer goods, setting off inflation and layoffs. These economists also said high taxes and heavy regulation made the situation worse. Then, in 1980, Ronald Reagan ran for president on a promise to turn the economy around. And his idea for how to do it was to rethink the role of government. Reagan, from the beginning of his political career years earlier, had campaigned against big government, but he successfully campaigned for president in 1980, arguing that it was government that was causing the economic problems. This paradigm that says that we are broadly better off with lower taxes and less government spending and more privatization, an attempt to take things that were conventionally government uh, functions and turning them over to private business. So what did Reagan do to change things? So Reagan came in and said, get government out of the way. I'm here tonight to reaffirm that pledge and to ask that we share in restoring the promise that is offered to every citizen by this, the last best hope of man on earth. The first significant thing that he did was to propose a major tax cut. It was, at the time, the biggest tax cut in American history. And the argument being that it was lower taxes that would free up the private sector to spur growth rather than government spending trying to create growth. He tried to roll back a lot of regulations, which, again, was aimed at trying to free up the private sector. This plan will get our economy moving again, productivity growth, and thus create the jobs that our people must have. And how did Democrats respond to Reagan's policies? So Democrats, compared to Republicans, have always favored a bigger government. And so, yes, Democrats would favor higher taxes and more government spending and more government involvement than Republicans would. But there was a limit to how far they would go. And that even when they would propose more government activity, it was usually done in a way that was attempting to accommodate market forces or to supplement market forces. One Democrat willing to compromise with some of Reagan's proposals was Senator Biden. In much of Biden's career, his economic policy seemed to be sort of surfing the middle of whatever the Democratic Party was at the time. So he actually voted for the 1981 Reagan tax cut. Later on in the 1980s, when there was a proposal for limiting spending to try and get deficits under control. Biden was a supporter of those proposals. Biden talked periodically about the need to restrain the growth of Social Security and Medicare out of fear that those costs were growing too much over the long run. We realize some of you in education and other areas that I and I know that the presiding officer care a great deal about, you're expecting maybe a little more, but we're in trouble. America is in trouble. 
And Biden, in the 1980s, bought into this view that government does in periods, in certain periods, need to be restrained. Deficits are a source of concern. With bipartisan support, a series of bills adopting a limited government approach passed, and they seemed to work. The overall economy went on a record-setting expansion throughout the 1980s, putting the economic pain of the 70s in the rearview mirror. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were? Less than After Reagan left office, his neoliberal approach stayed popular in Washington, even when Democrats were in control. In a way, the 1992 election was a real turning point where Bill Clinton ran as a so-called new Democrat and ultimately defined what he called the third way between the left and right. And much of Clinton's agenda in the 1990s was, in fact, arguably what progressive critics would say was a kind of democratic Reaganism. It was democratic neoliberalism. It was, yes, trying to promulgate classic democratic goals of helping the poor or, you know, seeking greater equality, but doing it, you know, through the lens of trying to reduce the size of government. During the Clinton years, Biden remained a loyal Democrat in the Senate. And he supported some major Clinton initiatives that reduced government's role in the economy and promoted free markets. One of the most notable examples was NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement that would ease trade barriers between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. For Biden, it put his faith in free markets to the test. You know, Biden, from very early on in his Senate career, his political career, and even to this day, you know, really prided himself on being close to the labor unions, and he was lobbied heavily by the unions to try and oppose it. And the labor unions were strongly against the North American Free Trade Agreement, saying that they were very worried about a new era of free trade in which you know, American workers would have to compete with workers from developing countries. And it was unclear where he was going to come down, but he ended up supporting it. He gave a very emotional speech. Madam President, I yield 10 minutes to the senator from Delaware. Talking about how he had wrestled with this decision. What in the heck would you be if you were a member of organized labor and you saw your security decimated? Of course they're frightened. They have every reason to be frightened. He listened to his labor union supporters, but that he also bought into this view that the future of the United States, the future of the region, the future of the world, it would be in everyone's interest to open up free markets. I'm supporting NAFTA because I think it is a positive thing to do. But not because NAFTA ultimately passed. And that kind of policy approach, promoting markets and scaling back government, continued to be popular through the 90s and 2000s. For much of that time, the economy was booming. Then, the 2008 financial crisis hit, and it set off a reckoning in Washington. That's after the break.
How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines, but are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work? Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. In some ways, for Biden, the financial crisis of 2008-2009 was a turning point. We've not faced this kind of economic dilemma in a lifetime of anyone in this room. And so I think Biden, like a lot of people, saw what happened in the financial crisis as a kind of a wake-up call that the private sector clearly had a lot of failures and that government, in their view, really needed to step in in a lot of ways. There were calls to reform the financial system. But there were also growing calls to reform capitalism. In the years after the crisis, income inequality continued to grow and wages remained stagnant. These issues energized the left wing of the Democratic Party, and progressives began advocating for the government to have a stronger hand in regulating the economy. So by the time Biden ran for president in 2020, he had to appeal to a very different Democratic Party. When he started his campaign in 2019, he was determined to propose a platform that he considered to be aggressive and go beyond where Democrats had gone before. And he did. He did propose significant new spending programs. But what happened was the Democratic Party had shifted even further to the left on these questions than Biden had. And so he was campaigning against, most notably, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, a self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. And they were proposing programs that were even significantly greater by an order of magnitude and expansion of government than Biden was envisioning. And part of his role in the campaign was to criticize them for being reckless and spending too much. Bernie still hadn't cost and told us how he's going to pay for it. We're talking about a 30-plus trillion-dollar plan. Not quite true. He emerged in the early parts of the campaign as this image of, oh, here's the old Joe Biden, the moderate, the one who doesn't believe in expansion of government, which wasn't quite right. He had changed, but not changed as much as the party. But after Biden became the nominee his approach to the economy moved further left. The pandemic hit and the economy shut down. And then two months after that, uh, George Floyd was killed and you know, sparking a whole sort of reckoning on racial justice. And the combination of those events sort of landed with Biden and his team and, and I think created a feeling like this is a moment where the government can do more politically. And Biden upped his ante and significantly proposed even greater packages. And when Biden won the presidency, he staffed his economic team with people who believed in big government as a solution to these problems. The chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, Cecilia Rouse, 
wrote an essay last year titled, Government is Not a Dirty Word. And last month, Biden rolled out his new approach. It's big, yes. It's bold, yes. And we can get it done. And after decades of Reagan's limited government view being kind of standard in Washington, how has Biden's approach been received? So Democrats, by and large, have received Biden's approach with tremendous enthusiasm, particularly the increasingly vocal and powerful left wing of the party. There are a number of moderate Democrats who are worried about the expansion of government, and Republicans so far have been unanimously opposed. Conservative economists say if Biden pours too much money into the economy and expands regulation, it could bring back the kind of economic pain experienced in the 70s, like stagflation. Some progressive economists disagree. They say that thanks to things like technology and globalization, today's economy can't be compared to that of the 60s and 70s. There is a view that the structure of the economy has fundamentally changed in ways that you can run the economy hotter without overheating, that those threats just aren't as significant as they were before, and that we are in a new period of long-term low inflation and low interest rates. Beyond those questions... Republicans have broadly argued that it would be a mistake to increase government involvement. They say the neoliberal approach had been working. It was the pandemic that set back the economy. And so the argument, in a way, that a lot of Republicans and conservatives make, and even some Democrats, is that Biden is taking the wrong lesson from the pandemic. That, in fact, the economy, in their view, was doing just fine in February of 2020, and that the Donald Trump prescription of tax cuts and deregulation was the right one. There was an unfortunate disruption, and we, of course, needed to spend money to get through that crisis, but then we should go back to where we were before. The Biden view is completely different. Their view is that the pandemic showed how frail the economy was, exposed underlying problems, that even with 3.5% unemployment before the pandemic hit, there was a lot of suffering going on beneath the surface. And even as wages were rising at the bottom, they were not rising as fast as they should have. And that this is all justified. And so, in a way, what you have right now is, is a grand both political and economic experiment to see which side is right. So what should we make of the fact that Biden feels like this is the right moment to reorient the way we think about government's role in the economy? You know, a few things. I mean, one is, as I say, Biden, he's not a thought leader in economics. He kind of surfs where the middle of where the Democratic Party is. So I think one thing we can certainly say is that the Democratic Party, at least, has significantly shifted to the left in its views on the role of government. Not just Democratic officeholders, but the Democratic electorate. And that's very clear in polls that you see. The question is whether or not we are at a political turning point. You know, for 40 years, Republicans have been able to say, my opponent wants to raise taxes. My opponent believes in big government. That's just socialism. And those have been successful political rallying cries. And and Democrats for a long time essentially were scared of those accusations, felt that they were effective, and trimmed their sails as a result. Biden is essentially saying, I think politics has changed. I think that those attacks will no longer land. And we'll have to see whether he's right or not. That's all for today, Wednesday, April 7th. 
The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Andrew Rastusha for his reporting on this story. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.